Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Valley's conference call to discuss the third quarter results of 2023. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. At the end of the presentations, we will provide instructions on how to participate in the question and answer session. This call is being translated simultaneously to Portuguese. If you should require assistance during the call, please press the star key followed by zero. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded and the recording will be available on the company's website at vali.com in the area for investors. The slide presentation that accompanies this call is being broadcast on the internet and is also available in the investors area of the company's website. There's a slight two-second delay between the audio and slide changes compared to the audio transmitted via phone. Before proceeding, let me mention that forward-looking statements may be provided in this presentation, including Valley's expectations about future events or results, encompassing those matters listed in the respective presentation. We caution you that forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve risks and uncertainties. To obtain information on factors that may lead to results different from those forecast by Valley, please consult the report Valley's files with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, the Brazilian Comissão de Valores Mobiliários, CVM, and, in particular, the factors discussed under forward-looking statements and risk factors in Valley's annual report on Form 20F. With us today are Mr. Eduardo de Sales Bartolomeu, Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Gustavo Pimenta, Executive Vice President of Finance and Investor Relations, Mr. Marcelo Spinelli, Executive Vice President, Iron Ore Solutions, Mrs. Dashni Naidu, CEO Valley Base Metals, Mr. Carlos Medeiros, Executive Vice President of Operations. Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu will begin his presentation on Valley's third quarter performance, and after that, he will be available for questions and answers. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu. Sir, you may now begin. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are all doing well. We continue to make significant progress on our strategic business priorities. We delivered a solid production performance this quarter and throughout 2023. In IRR Solutions, we delivered substantial output with increased average quality while also lowering our production to sales gap as expected. In energy transition metals, Salubo 3 is successfully ramping up, contributing to our copper growth year to date with total production 10% higher in the quarter in supporting lower unit costs. In nickel, we remain on track to deliver our production guidance while reviewing our assets to unlock value potential. On our path to decarbonization, we are accelerating breakthrough iron ore solutions. We are commissioning 
our first brick credit plant in Tubarão and signed two strategic agreements to assess the development of mega hubs. We are advancing in circular mining initiatives. We created a JERA to develop our sustainable sand operations and we signed an agreement with Bluestone to foster waste to value transformation solutions in base metals. On dam safety, we continue to deliver on a new framework towards a safer valley. We completed the decharacterization of our 13th upstream dam and reduced the emergency level of B3B4 dam to the lowest. On top of that, we remain with our disciplined capital location approach. We just approved a $2 billion shareholder remuneration payment for December. With that, total dividends and interest in capital distributed since 2021 represents a 29% yield for our shareholders. We also launched our fourth share buyback program. Since 2021, Vale has repurchased over 16% of share base, concentrating shareholder future earnings by about 20%. As you can see, we are delivering on our commitments and reaping good results from our structural changes. Let me go into more detail about our reforms. Next slide, please. We had strong results this quarter, and we are starting Q4 at a robust pace, well positioned to deliver on our guidance. In IronR solutions, we continue to operate S11D at a high rate while increasing pallet feed production from Brukutu, thanks to the Torto Dam commissioning. We delivered 5 million tons above the nine months output in 2022. We also improved our portfolio average quality and boosted pallet production by 11% this quarter. We faced one-off engineering issues at SLMND and the effects of a power outage across Brazil. And despite those issues, we are on our way to deliver a solid Q4 output. Iron ore fines and pallet sales increased by 6% this quarter, reducing our accumulated production to sales gap. Usually, in the third quarter, we have a high production to sales gap, but this quarter, we shortened that gap by around 50% compared to last year. In Q4, we expect to reduce this gap even further. In energy transition metals, copper production grew 10%, in the quarter and 22% on a nine month basis, as an increase of 41 kilotons compared to last year, thanks to the successful ramp up of Salubo 3, which is now operating at 80% of its capacity. In September, the Salobo complex reached its highest monthly production level since 2019. Copper sales were exceptional for the period, growing about 5% quarter-on-quarter and 22% on a nine-month basis. Even though we have been delivering a substantial output, we have decided to lower our production guidance by around 15 kilotons, given some change to the North Atlantic mining method and additional maintenance. In nickel, we are performing as planned, which includes the continued transition of the Voices Bay mine to underground 
and the rebuild of the Onsa Puma Furnace number one later this year. Our outlook for 2023 nickel production remains unchanged. Next slide, please. We are accelerating breakthrough iron ore solutions to deliver the high quality required by a decarbonizing world. The first brick cutting plant is under commissioning with the ramp up expected by the end of this year. We expect to commission the second plant in early 2024 with the ramp up at the beginning of the second quarter. The combined capacity will be 6 million tons per year. 2024 will be our first year with industrial level production and will be a year of operational fine tuning for the long-term reliability. On the mega hubs development front, we signed two strategic agreements to assess opportunities with Porto Iguaçu for a facility in Brazil for hot bricked iron production using our pellets and with H2 Green Steel for concentration units in Brazil and the United States directed towards products for the low carbon steel value chain, including HPI using our briquettes. Concentration solutions are critical to our decarbonization strategy, and we expect to build our first mega hub in 2024. Next slide, please. Fostering circular mining, we launched Agera, a company dedicated to developing our sustainable sand business. Agera trades and distributes sand extracting from the tailing stems of our iron ore operations. This type of operation allow us to reduce the use of dams and piles in our iron ore operation, and we hope to scale up this business. In addition, Valley-Based Metals signed a long-term agreement with Bluest One to reuse tailings to produce fertilizers. Onsa Puma Mine will supply Bluest One with slag for the next 10 years. This initiative expands circular mining within our energy transition metals business. Furthermore, we signed two other strategic partnerships to assess decarbonization opportunities. With H2 Green Steel, Vale is taking its first step into the green hydrogen market. H2 Green Steel's expertise will be critical for developing green hydrogen in the mega hubs in Brazil and the United States. With Petrobras, we will assess the acceleration of low carbon solutions taking advantage of the joint technical expertise and synergies of our two companies. Vale plays a leading role in the decarbonization journey by leveraging relevant actions to enable the energy transition. These agreements fit perfectly into this context. Next slide, please. Finally, we are building a safer valley. We've completed the decharacterization of the 13th upstream dam. We are progressing on our upstream dam decharacterization program with the highest safety standards in place. In addition, after removing around 85% of tailings from B3 before dam, we reduced its emergence level to the lowest possible, with decharacterization to be completed in 2025. Since 2020, we have implemented several safety measures upgrading over 40% of our structures at emergency levels to a safe status. We continue to systematically reduce dam risks and to implement the best international practice in dam management, while 
simultaneously developing solutions to minimize them usage. Now, for our financial results, I'll pass the floor to Gustavo. Thank you. Thanks, Eduardo, and good morning, everyone. Let me start with our EBITDA performance for the quarter. As you can see, we delivered an EBITDA of $4.5 billion in Q3, almost half a billion dollars higher than the same period last year. The increase is explained by higher realized prices, which increased 13% year-on-year for iron ore and 16% for copper. On volumes, iron ore finest and pallet sales increased 4.4 million tons year-on-year taking advantage of favorable market conditions while reducing the usual production to sales gap in Q3. The impact of costs and expenses on EBITDA was $189 million year on year, partially explained by the $56 million effect from the consumption of iron ore inventories from the previous quarter at higher costs, as well as higher maintenance carried out in our nickel businesses. I will go into more detail on costs later in my presentation. Finally, the exchange rate had a negative impact of $124 million in our EBITDA, while byproduct revenues from our operations in Canada were $103 million lower. Iron ore C1 cash cost third party purchases came down $1.6 per ton quarter on quarter. This was driven by lower demurrage costs as well as higher fixed cost dilution. With more production volumes, especially from the northern system, where production costs are lower. We also continue to benefit from our rollout of our efficiency program, bringing sustainable cost savings of 0.3 dollars per ton in the quarter. We are on track to deliver our annual guidance of 21.5 to 22.5 dollars per ton, considering an expected further decrease in C1 cash cost in Q4. With regards to all-in costs, our EBITDA break-even is slightly increased to 55.7 dollars per ton in the quarter, driven essentially by external factors, which offset the solid C1 performance. Freight costs went up from $17.6 per ton to $18.9 per ton, mainly reflecting the increase in bunker oil prices in Q3. For sensitive purpose, a $10 per barrel increase in Brent oil prices translates into a $0.9 per ton increase in our freight costs. Additionally, despite the positive effect of lower time chartering rates, our exposure to the spot market freightment increased in Q3 due to our seasonally higher production and shipments in the second half of the year. Finally, despite an improvement of 87 basis points in the average iron ore quality in the quarter, the lower weighted contribution of pallet businesses and the lower 65% FE market premiums negatively impacted our all-in costs. This is primarily driven by lower margins in the steel industry. We continue to believe in the strong fundamentals supporting demand of high-quality products given secular trends such as the decarbonization of production processes, the electrification of everything, the continuous urbanization of large emerging economies, and the reshoring of supply chains. 
These are just a few of the examples that support our thesis and validate Vale's unique position in offering high quality products across all of our portfolio. Now moving to our energy transition metals business. In copper, we continue to see gains from higher production at both Salubo and Sosego, which support the reduction of unit COGS by diluting fixed costs. All in costs, excluding the Huu project, were about $3,300 per ton, a slightly increase driven by lower byproduct revenues due to a decrease in gold prices. At our nickel operations, our COGS extort party feed increased to about $23,300 per ton, with higher maintenance costs in Sudbury. With the end of the maintenance period and increased production in our North Atlantic operations, we expected unit COGS to materially reduce in Q4. In addition, our all-in costs were impacted by lower byproduct credits, mainly due to maintenance at Sudbury and mining method changes, requiring additional ground support at the Coleman mine. Now moving to cash generation. As you can see, Q3 free cash flow from operations was about $1.1 billion, roughly $350 million higher than Q2. We had an increase in working capital this quarter due to greater accounts receivable, given higher iron ore sales and prices. Income taxes also increased as a result of better performance. Free cash flow from operations was used to return value to our shareholders with the payment of $1.7 billion in dividends and $0.5 billion in share buybacks. This is part of our disciplined capital location strategy, which leads to my next slide. Yesterday, our board of directors approved a distribution of $2 billion in dividends and interest on capital to be paid on December 1st. This results from better cash flow generation to date and the expected inflow from the base metals partnership. Looking at our dividend distribution since 2021, and including this latest announcement, we have generated robust dividend yields to our shareholders. On top of our dividends commitment, we continue to see share buyback as one of the most accretive ways to create long-term value for our shareholders. To that end, yesterday, our board of directors approved a new buyback program to repurchase up to 150 million shares in the next 18 months. Since we started our first program, we have repurchased a total of 830 million shares, representing 16% of our shares count. As a result, a shareholder who invested in Vale during this period has increased their participation of earnings per share by 19%. With that, I'd like to now turn the call back to Eduardo for his closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Gustavo. So to summarize, here are the key messages from our presentation today. First, delivering on our commitment has led to a more robust operational performance across all businesses, and we have shown in the results. Implementing cost efficiency initiatives while growing production volumes have enabled a continued improvement in our unit costs. Third, the energy transition metals asset review confirms the potential to unlock significant value. We designed a more fit for purpose organization 
brought in top talents and entered a partnership with world-class strategic investors. We are taking our assets to an optimal operating flow sheet for value creation. And finally, we remain 100% committed to disciplined capital allocation. The distribution of an additional $2 billion in dividends and the launch of our fourth buyback program are a evidence of that. We are at the forefront of global decarbonization, leveraging relevant actions for the energy transition while driving local and regional development. We have completed change how Vale manages its dams and risks. We are changing the company culture with a focus on safety, always listening to our stakeholders in an open and transparent dialogue. We will continue to promote sustainable mining, foster low carbon solutions, and remain disciplined, making Vale a reference in creating and sharing value. Finally, I would like to thank the management team, our employees and partners for contributing to this quarter's results. Thank you. And now let's start our Q&A session. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your touchstone phone. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, press star 2. Please ask your question in English and limit your question to two at a time. Our first question comes from Carlos de Alba, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, everyone. <coughs> So my first question is on on the nickel results. Um, you know, uh, I see you're you're making progress, uh, quarter on quarter production increase. Uh, clearly, you you sold the stake in the company and set up a, 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 a independent board and a strong management team. Uh, but you know, the results continue to show increasing cost. Um, and and so you are guiding, you are keeping your all in guidance flat uh, for 2023 or unchanged uh, better for 2023, which implies a very significant drop in the fourth quarter. So um, my questions are, um, is there a time where you think we could see a more sustainable, a better performance in terms of cost uh, uh, in that unit? And two, um, can you point us to a specific actions that um, will drive that significant Decline in uh, all-in cost in, in in the fourth in the fourth quarter, and then um, my second question uh, has to do with uh, you know, uh, clearly you 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 are generating uh, strong cash flows. Ionor is contributing quite a lot. Uh, the company is making improvements in in operations, and so you generate a lot of cash. Pay this special dividend. How do you decide it between? the dividend and share buybacks because while we have a new share buyback program really the, the incremental shares to be bought are only 10 million so it's not not that significant uh, but clearly the 2 billion uh, so, um, special dividend is significant so what is the decision uh, you can you walk us through how you how you decide between dividends and share buybacks thank you thanks carlos uh, here's eduardo 
I'll, I'll give the questions to Dashni and then afterwards to, to Pimenta, but just to, to make it clear, right? Uh, the, the structure that we are implementing is actually being implemented, uh, it's being implementing. So we believe the results are going to be ripe above operational improvements. I think then Dashni can even uh, explore a little bit about that. But I'll, I'll, I'll pass the word for Dashni to explain about the NICO results and the NICO expectations. Thank you, uh, Eduardo, and uh, thank you, Carlos, for the um, for the question. So, if I just look at the quarter uh, specifically, you know, we produced 42,000 tons of nickel, but only sold 39. Uh, and as Eduardo and as uh, Pimenta guided as well, we did sell less byproduct in the um, in the quarter. So that largely contributed to the overall higher unit cost in the quarter. In terms of performance, when it comes to uh, production numbers. I mean, year on year, you know, some of the markers that I use in terms of how the actions are translating into the right uh, results, we have year on year increased our overall development in North Atlantic by over 20%. And that's why you would see the mining production has actually increased year on year by over 16%. So that's an excellent way to say that the, that the actions are resulting in the right uh, numbers. If you ask then, you know, what are we doing to structurally change the business to get to those lower cost uh, numbers? So firstly, in quarter four, we will sell some of the difference of what we didn't sell in quarter three, and we mainly hold that back in terms of inventories for maintenance, um, et cetera. So that together with a higher production number will result in a much higher production as well as uh, sales, which is exactly what happened last year this time where we sold, you know, close to last year, about 50,000 tons. This year, we got probably close to 47, 48,000 tons of nickel sales in quarter four. So that, together with some of the copper that we know will now come back into the system because we are sitting with inventories ahead of the uh, plant, will result in much higher copper byproducts as well, which will then give us the, the lower unit cost in quarter four that will dilute the overall year-to-date uh, results. And that is why we are still holding on to the nickel cost guidance. In terms of just the overall structural um, changes, you know, VBME continues to ramp up, and that those ramp up tons will come in at a, at a more efficient uh, rate, and that will result in the overall uh, unit cost improvement that we will see from the third quarter of next year onwards. And then some of the other initiatives and productivity, et cetera, in uh, Sudbury will drive this uh, forward. But as Eduardo mentioned in his opening uh, comments on the asset reviews, in fact, Tony and the team are currently in uh, Sudbury, a lot of the work there is whether we can reduce some of the cutoff grades. And what the team is initially coming up with is huge opportunities of possibly re-looking at those cutoff grades that will result in far higher uh, tons. That, together with some of the, uh, you know, the technology uh, initiatives that Tony wants to put on the table, is telling us there's a lot more value potential unlock within the uh, within the asset base. I'll leave it there and hand over to Pimenta. Thanks, Deshini, and thanks, Carlos, for your question. Look, we we've been um, favoring both over the last couple of years, right? Both dividend and share buyback, and uh, we we like both. We think both have a, a role to play in our capital location, especially even where stock prices are today. Uh, this one, it's a combination of, of things. I think one, as you said, we continue to generate strong cash flow. I mean, prices remain constructive, and therefore cash flow remains uh, strong. 
there, but there is also an element of the VBM partnership here, which has more a one-off nature. So, so that is what led us to favor this uh, the cash uh, the dividend payment of two billion. But again, we continue to believe share buyback is a is a great capital location tool for us, and that's the reason why we decided to um, extend the program for another 150 million shares. Our next question is from Caio Ribeiro, Bank of America. Yes, good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. <clears throat> so firstly, uh, I just wanted to explore a bit uh, how you see the company's break-even EBITDA for iron ore, you know, evolving with some of the changes, right, that you're working at in the company, uh, and also due to, to some changing industry dynamics ahead as well, right? Uh, so with this focus on uh, developing uh, steel mega hubs, together with steelmakers, right, and given that under this structure uh, you will be supplying briquettes and, you know, other high-grade uh, agglomerates to certain regions in the world, and including the Middle East, uh, possibly the U.S. as well, you know, presumably there will be some shift, right, in your geographical breakdown of shipments, right? Today it's, it's largely directed towards China, right, but with this focus on energy transition, DRI, EAF, and, you know, your strong positioning uh, in delivering higher-grade ore, uh, I imagine your regional shipment destination could change, right, and, and, and that could perhaps uh, alter your average maritime freight. Um, and a higher maritime freight from Brazil to China, you know, has always been uh, a disadvantage versus uh, Australian peers. Uh, but with this potential change in the regional shipment destinations, right, do you see that potentially helping you right, gain an edge uh, versus other peers, right, on a break-even EBITDA perspective? Uh, and then secondly, uh, on the base metals division, right, it's clear that there's a lot going on there uh, with the 13% uh, stake sale underway. Uh, you've brought some high-profile names to the board and manager of the company. Uh, you're carrying an asset review. You know, yet the short-term results, uh, they show the challenges still exist uh, with maintenance at some assets, uh, the transition to underground operations at Voices Bay. I just, I just wanted to see if you could give us an indication uh, as to what milestones you're looking to achieve here uh, over the next two years, right, and, and, and what signs uh, do you think we should be looking for uh, as clear signals that this, this turnaround of the asset is, is, is being successful? Thank you. Hey, Kai Gustavo here. So I'll, I'll get started with the, the all-in question for Arnor, and maybe Dishini can help us out with, um, with the base metals here. So yeah, in Arnor, there is, there is a couple of things which will benefit our break-even uh, over the next couple of years, right? One is the, the simple fact that we should be resuming capacity, right? So there is a plan as we laid out in Validay, and we provide more color now in December in terms of wrapping up capacity, but also wrapping up capacity of higher quality products, which will help on the premiums and therefore the all-in. Certainly, the ability for us to sell to markets that are closer to our operations helps additionally to that case. Um, so overall, I think we are moving in that direction of being, over time, even more competitive from an all-in standpoint. So you're right on your assessment, and that's the way we also we also see. So I'll I'll, I'll just hand it back to to Dishin if she can talk a little about about um, base metals. But before that, maybe Spinelli can complement uh, on the iron ore. If there is anything else you you, you want to add to the all-in estimate. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Kayo. Uh That's exactly 
this strategy that we have, right? So uh, it's based on, on on the carb segmentation, and as we need to the carb, where well, we have the direct reduction route, and we go after competitive energy. So Middle East is a target, um, US is a target, and also Brazil. So um, exactly the consequence of that is is reduce our exposure to China. And uh, and uh, and we that's a way to go back uh, in a much better uh, shape to to Atlantic as uh, as you mentioned, and we we're going to have the benefit uh, as, as Pimenta said of the premiums uh, in the in the break even of EBITDA, and also the freight and the and the and keep our competitiveness. With big vessels, we have a capacity to discharge in Oman, uh, the volume access. Uh, we also have capacity to discharge in Europe and Rotterdam. So we're going to keep the uh, all the advantages that we've been developing in China uh, in a closer um, and a stable uh, uh, territory. Now I'll hand over to Dishi. Thank you, Spy. Thank you, uh, Gustavo. Uh, so, Kai, uh, thank you for the um, question. I'm just going to call out some of the progress that we're already seeing. So, you know, we've had three progressive quarters this year for uh, copper. You know, as Eduardo said, quarter three versus uh, quarter one is already a 22% uh, increase. But turning to South Atlantic, South Atlantic has had a 47% increase in copper production during the first three quarters of this year. And September month, and I'm seeing as the same trend in October month, we are at the highest levels of copper production across South Atlantic since 2019. And then when I turn to Ontario mines, although we've had the issues which are very explainable in Coleman mine, four out of the five mines in um, Ontario are above 96% of the budget target. So I think we can say that the improvements and the ramp up are being delivered, but perhaps not at the pace that we need it to be. So one of the first milestones that we are that we've delivered is the fact that Solobo 3, I think, is absolutely a benchmark um, delivery on ramp up. Eduardo said, you know, we're closer to 80% of the throughput, which is around 10 million tons per annum run rate already. And to do deliver that within nine months, where we've had some delays in the second line uh, startup, is very impressive. On Solobo 1 and 2, we've previously mentioned in Valet Day that we're in the process of doing a recovery program. And that recovery plan was really targeted as catching up on some of the backlog maintenance. Very happy to say that that work, the majority of it has been completed. And the improvements that we're seeing, uh, Kai, now is that the plant availability, plant one and two, is up to 90%, which is actually a more than 5% increase year on year. And at Coleman, as we uh, mentioned, we're not able to go after some of those um, those those more riskier sole pillars that we have in the mine. But what I can tell you is that because of the ground support initiatives that we had, another milestone achieved, we are set up to have a better quarter four. So when I look at maintenance, what we've said, you know, up until the end of last year on backlog, the majority of that we we are beyond. What we're now looking at, which is very seasonal, and I think and this is something we must understand on the nickel uh, business, we will take our smelters down in the middle of the year for a month to two months. There are assets that will go through two months of maintenance, as I'm seeing on the surface plants for next year. So we need to be, perhaps 
guide better in terms of what to expect because nickel by design will be a little patchy per quarter over the year. Now, with the asset reviews, what we are seeing, as I mentioned, is things like cutoff grades, optimization. I think in terms of milestones to look for, Mark and I are working on a roadmap for the asset reviews that demonstrates how the value can be unlocked. And as Mark has already mentioned, in fact, uh, Kyle, at the, um, at the discussion with you and Liam um, a couple of months ago, that this will take a while to put in place and that from his experience, these kinds of deep transformation programs will take almost you know, two, to, two to three years to deliver. So we will come back to you at Valley Day and explain how the roadmap will come together. But I want you know, everyone on the call to be very clear that the initiative that we set out to do in terms of catching up on backlog maintenance is there and that is translating into improved progressive production increases quarter on quarter. Our next question is from Danielle Sasson, Itaú BBA. Hi, hi guys. Good morning. Thanks, thanks for the, the opportunity. Uh, my first question is related to costs because um, you did uh, you did have a, uh, an improvement in your C1, and yet your delivered in China break-even increased versus the second quarter, and uh, part of that can be explained by higher uh, expenses and royalties, uh, at least uh, as per what we can see from the table that you published. Uh, is, was there uh, just curious if there was any sort of um, one-off items uh, on that line or extraordinary items that could revert ahead, or if you could give us more color on on your expectations for these, um, you know, uh, the, the remaining part in addition to the C1. Um, that um, that composes your your break-even delivered in China. I, I think that that would help us to to forecast that uh, going ahead. And my second question is more on the uh, if you could share with us uh, an overall view on the uh, premiums for higher quality products in China. Uh, we saw in recent months uh, the Chinese steel makers margins not being that great, so they favored to some extent the lower quality products, which hurt uh, premiums for for uh, better quality products, right? So if you could uh, uh, walk us through your thoughts on how this could evolve going forward, um, that would be great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, this is Gustavo. So I'll do the first one and then I'll, I'll ask if Spinelli to, to talk about the second one. So, yeah, C1 performance came better. I think we, we were expecting the performance to improve since um, Q1, and we've said that. So it's, it's, it's good to see, um, you know, C1 coming down, especially versus Q2. And we should continue to see that performance improve in, in Q4. Um, on the all-in, it's mostly 
driven by external factors, uh, frankly, because uh, what you were referring to in terms of royalties, it was actually more a one-off in Q2 than Q3. So there is no impact in Q3 um, associated with any potential one-off on, on royalties. In fact, what we had, if you look at big picture here, it's more the external factors which have impacted us in the quarter, right? especially bunker, which is almost a dollar per ton uh, increase versus what we had in Q2, and also premiums, uh, especially market premiums, which came down in the quarter, uh, which is about $0.7 per ton. So that is primarily what has driven uh, the all-in to, to, to come up. But again, we should continue to see improvements as we continue to bring volumes plus um, our efficiency initiatives continue to, to deliver. So with that, I'll ask Spinelli to talk about premiums in China. Thank you, Daniel, for a question. So uh, firstly, just to reinforce, our, our long-term view remain intact about premiums. So uh, I think the decarbonization is a trend uh, energy efficiency is a necessity. Uh, we need high-grade ores uh, to decrease uh, the impact of CO2 in blast furnaces, and we need high-grade ores uh, in an agglomerated uh, form to support direct reduction route. So this is uh, our main strategy, long-term strategy, and we strongly believe on that. In short term, let, let's split this in three. So the first point, uh, pallets is Going, it's doing really well, so we have high premiums for pellets, and is related to this uh, uh, blooming of direct reduction that is already going on in, in the Middle East in the U.S. Uh, the second one is related to low alumina, so that's another trend. Uh, our competitors, competitors are increasing the alumina, and uh, we are taking advantage of how our low alumina products. And regarding the Karajas, uh, the high-grade ores, um, uh, we, we always say that we we have premiums when we need uh, to save energy. So uh, the cost of energy is high. That's not the case today. Coke is, is, is in a low level. Or if you need more efficiency to increase the production, increase the volumes uh, to support uh, uh, the market. So that's the main point here today in China. We have a strong market. Uh, in a transition mode. So minimizing costs is, is the sense today. So we, we all also taking advantage of that. So we are selling, as we have a flexible supply chain, we are selling some high silicas with a lower discount today. And we are adjusting our supply chain to blend so, uh, and have a, the, the low aluminum premium. Uh, but what we see is a transition uh, moment uh, that's the, the longest period of low uh, margins in China, only comparable to 2015. After In that moment, in 2015, we had the supply-side reform. We don't expect this in China today, but what we believe that we have a strong support from uh, the, the Chinese government to keep their goals in GDP and GDP per capita. And that's a, an important uh, message that came uh, this week, uh, when we had the announcement of the one trillion yuan to support the the infrastructure uh, uh, stimulus, so at that view, support that transition, and we believe that uh, that will be uh, uh, 
a better pricing skill that support a better margin, that support a better premium uh, for our hard grade or that the Karaja. So that's the figure we have short term, um, focus on, on, on minimizing cost, uh, but uh, a transition uh, for next year to rebalance the market in terms of price of steel in China. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Rafael Barcelos, Santander. Good morning, and thanks for, for taking my question. My first question is about Bricket. So, so, so Vale has already started the commissioning test of the first two iron ore Bricket plants in Tubarão, right? So, so I just would like to understand how these operations are evolving, and when do you expect to reach the combined uh, run rate production of uh, 6 million tons? And, and the second question is about the, the Bruco 2 complex. I mean, after the return of the Torto Dam, how operations are evolving in terms of mix of products and, and, and volumes? And also, could you confirm uh, when you'll be able to capture the full, the, the, the full benefit of Torto Dam? I mean, if it will be in the, in the fourth queue or more uh, toward the next year? Thank you. Oh, Rafael, uh, this is Carlos Medeiros. Thank you for questions regarding the briquettes. Uh, we are now, uh, as you, we commented during the presentation, commissioning the, the first line uh, and uh, addressing uh, the technical problems. Uh, and uh, so far, we have not found anything unexpected. Everything is coming according to plan. So we, our expectation is to move into more a uh, startup uh, in the beginning of November, and then, and from that point starting, we will start ramping up uh, this line. Uh, regarding the, the second line, uh, as also mentioned during the presentation, uh, we will start uh, commissioning it in, during Q2 next year, uh, and, and after that, ramping up. So uh, we should be in a position uh, to have uh, uh, you know, the full capacity in place sometime in the second half of next year, approximately. Uh, regarding uh, the Bruco 2 line, um, is we, we have three, three lines in our uh, processing plants uh, up and running uh, after the tour to them. And we should continue as so until uh, we, we have uh, licenses for our waste piles uh, to be uh, implemented, and then we will be in a position to move to, to uh, away from three lines up to five lines. So that's the, the outlook. And this won't happen before 2026. Our next question is from Miles Alsop, UBS London. Great. Um, thank you very much for uh, the, the opportunity. Um, so two questions. First of all, on CapEx, could you give us you obviously a bit more sense around how CapEx is going to trend you know, this year and, and over the next few years? Obviously, this year you're tracking well below the $6 billion. Um, as we look forward, you know, with all the kind of mega hubs and you know, the investments in Indonesia, you know, how should we think about you know, CapEx moving forward? I mean, how capital intensive from a, 
um, Vale perspective will these mega hubs be and, and when will we start seeing spend on those? And then the second question is just around Samarco. Can you just give us a quick update? Obviously, there's the headlines um, earlier in the week. Um, could you give us a sense, you know, how negotiations are progressing or not, and you know what we should be thinking about in terms of liabilities? Thank you. Miles, Gustavo, Gustavo Pimenta here. Um, so maybe starting with uh, with the second question. So um, look, we continue to work on. Uh, trying to find a resolution that works for everybody, right? So that's, I think, our belief that this is the uh, ideal outcome here. So we continue to be hopeful that if not this year, uh, in the first half next year, we'll be able to, to find a resolution. And that should resolve some of the open disputes that uh, we continue to see coming through, right? Uh, that is, from our perspective, the best outcome. Um, for Samarco, and we'll continue to look um, and work very hard for that. Regardless, we continue to perform super well on the uh, obligations that we have under the TTAC. Um, so we've, you know, 80% of the housing solutions have been resolved. Um, we have indemnified more than 430,000 people, spent today 33 billion AI. So things are moving and uh, we'll continue to do so. On CAPEX, yes, uh, we are tracking well around the $6 billion. Uh, we'll provide more color in Valley Day um, in terms of uh, what is our long-term expectation there. But you shouldn't expect us to deviate much from it, because especially you've mentioned the mega hubs, some of that investment will be, doing, will be done in partnership with our clients. So we'll do part of it. Our clients will do part of it. So we should be able to accommodate this uh, substantially within the existing figures that we've been uh, working on. So we'll provide that more color and validate, but that's the direction you should expect from us. Next question is from Tyler Broda, RBC. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks very much for the questions. Hi, everybody. Um, I have two two questions. Um, the first one is on on iron ore. Um, Eduardo made the comment that the uh, the production to sales gap would tighten a bit in the uh, in in the fourth quarter for iron ore. Um, so, we're going to get a bit of color on that. Just from the sense that we've seen a, a, a reversal of that. So, you see a destocking normally in the fourth quarter. Is that um, just to clarify? Should we expect a, a destocking in Q4, especially after the sort of the inventory built um, over the last 12 months? Um, and then uh, my second question is uh, about nickel, um, and it's uh, it's good to see the operations you know, moving in the right direction. Um, I guess, Jesse, I don't know if you could share your outlook on the nickel price. Uh, you've been negative free cash flow now for the last four quarters. I mean, how is that influencing your plans um, for investment, and I guess just what your thoughts are at the moment uh, with prices where they are? Thanks very much. Hi, Tyler. I think for a question. So, um, yeah, you may expect a higher sales than production in, in the, the fourth quarter, as, as we have normally in our uh, seasonality. Okay, as slightly higher, uh, the sales will be slightly higher than Q3, and same pattern we have. So, uh, um, it, but it's important to reinforce one point here: uh, our inventories is is healthy. We are not. Carrying uh, or, or rebuilding any 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 inventory uh, rather than our operational inventory. I, I've been hearing some some noise about that. We have flexibility in our supply chain, so 
uh, as uh, and we have the the value over volume, so uh, we can uh, we are uh, now focusing on uh, uh, blending. Sometimes we need to uh, hold uh, the product to blend. So that's exactly what we are doing now. So uh, we are drying carajás and blending uh, for for Q1, and we are anticipating high silica, uh, some high silica product to uh, reduce uh, the concentration in China and uh, uh, and anticipating this uh, sales to Q4 this year. So it's it's dynamic. And uh, and we need to think as as an operational inventory, but pay attention for uh, uh, some information, different information for, from the past. Uh, we are increasing the pelletizing, uh, uh, the pellet production, so we have a reduction uh, of of the mass uh, due to the moisture reduction uh, when you do this. So if you, you are comparing this year to last year, we have a, a, a reduction on the total mass of the of the company when you compare production sales. Moisture is something that you already have in your models. And another information that we, uh, we've been increasing our uh, production in China, our concentration in China, that we lose, we have a, a, a mass recovered that we lose some part of our uh, uh, of our total volume. So just uh, check these uh, numbers when you consider the, the, the build-up of inventories that exactly is not part of our inventory. We are losing mass when you do this. Hi, Tyler. Uh, thank you so much for the um, question. I think on uh, Nickel, you know, the question was more around what am I thinking about the outlook in terms of how that price is going to match what's happening inside the business. Just in terms of inside the business, the Nickel business is in transition. You know, the Voices Bay uh, project in which we are taking, you know, or building two underground mines to replace the open put ovoid mine will only start to deliver those ramped up tons from the third quarter of next year. Until that period, the the kind of the spiky cost that we see will remain within the uh, business. I'm very confident after that, you'll start to see a lot more cash come back into the business. In terms of current uh, prices, you know, Tyler, we do not speculate on the uh, nickel price, but all I can say from the data that we are uh, looking at is that the EV demand still continues to be strong despite some of the softening that we are seeing um, today. And if I look at you know the current forecast for EV sales today, you know it's still trending just under 14 million. Although you know the world was looking at 14.6 at the start of the year against the 11 million uh, next year. And despite what we're seeing in LFPs. It's still the game in China. We're still seeing the, the right amount of uh, EV battery chemistry demand in the rest of the uh, sector. So I'm going to leave it there. It's all about the business that's in uh, transition projects that we have to do so that Voices Bay do not, does not create the drag that we currently have in the cost and that the EV sector is still what we are anticipating medium term to be the fastest growing nickel demand sector. Our next question is from Leonardo Correa, BTG Pac-12. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Ah, okay, perfect. Yes, yes, Leo, so, you can go ahead. Ah, okay, perfect. So good morning, everyone. Yeah, so just, um, I just wanted to focus uh, my first question on the market. Um, 
specifically for iron ore, right? I mean, we've been seeing uh, still very, very solid trends for iron ore. Uh, looking at the key, let's say KPIs, right? I mean, very low inventories across the chain at the steel mill level and also at the port level. Um, China continues churning out um, more than a billion tons annualized um, per year, right? Um, I mean, looking at Chinese steel exports, they continue very high. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, the the last level, right, of, of steel exports from China was the highest level in the year. Um, if we think of, of uh, the issues, right, the main concern, I guess, some months ago was that China would enforce uh, those output curbs in steel, uh, which is something that we still have not seen, right? I and mean, over the past weeks, uh, it seems the, the sense in China is more of, of continuity rather than, than curbing steel production. Um, and at the same time, we're, we're moving into a zone, right, which is seasonally very restricted supply, we get into rainy season in Brazil, in Australia, um, and at the same time, you see Chinese stimulus, right, at, at the macro level, just just coming through, and and finally they're tapping the the fiscal levers, right. So there's there's a lot going on, um, but clearly the outlook for INR has been surprising, I think, all expectations, and I just wanted to hear how you're seeing the balance of risk. If you're seeing, uh, if, if it would be valid to say that the there's more upside risk at this point than downside, I think that would be helpful. And, and the second question um, on my side, uh, I, I could have missed this, so sorry, I, I joined the call a little bit later, but um, just on the base metals and, and moving back to, to the entire discussion on base metals, I'm, I'm gonna avoid the, the performance issues, right? The, I think that they were addressed over the past minutes. Um, but just on, on capital location in base metals, right, we still don't have a plan on the future investment program, where exactly you're allocating capital. Uh, I mean, from previous commentary, I get a sense that you're probably going to be more inclined investing in Brazil, probably more copper exposure in Brazil. Uh, but how is that progressing? I mean, is there any update or should we look into um, any announcement at Valide on, on where investments are moving at base metals specifically? Those are the questions. Thank you very much. Okay, Leo, uh, I'll, I'll ask uh, Spinelli to, to to answer the market and uh, and Gustavo on the on the base metals, but upside risk. Well, um, Leo, thank you for for the question. So, um, first of all, I you you point out many uh, uh, information that. Uh, supports our strong uh, our our view about what just what you just said. We have a, a, a more optimistic view about China in the market, and the, we, we can say that uh, that's the China resilience. It, it's it's really clear that the government now is supporting and giving all the signs that they want to uh, keep their goal of GDP, GDP per capita, that is already established. So m many of us are always tracking the properties as a decrease, that, that is actually decreasing, and, uh, and we have uh, some numbers uh, of, of minus 7% of decrease, and we have a more optimistic or a less bearish view about this uh, when you consider some other information rather than NBS uh, like Mohur that we have 
uh, a slight uh, uh, slider uh, decrease of, of, of minus uh, 2%. So this is the common sense that we can disagree, but I want to drag your attention for the bright side of what, what's going on in China. So first thing, there, are, there is a, a re reinventing of the manufacturing in China. So we can see uh, uh, what the government said, quality development. They are leading the green industry, turbines, all the equipments to support the, the decarbonization in the world are being produced in China to support their domestic demand and also the export. They are in production of double digit for small appliance. EVs, uh, they are flooding the world with their cars. And we see this in Brazil. So uh, there is a new platform of of manufacturing that is going on in China, and they need more high quality steel to support that. Infrastructure, they announced the stimulus of one trillion uh, uh, RMB that we saw that will support next year the 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 increase of more infrastructure, and they are already exporting, as you said, eight million tons that uh, the they will probably balance that export next year when the infrastructure will play uh, a more important role. This is the, the main figure. Another point that we should pay attention, we, we, we always track the CSP, the crude steel production in China, but pay attention in DIP, the pig iron production in China. Uh, there is a decoupling in the production of, of flat and rebar. So when you need flat, you need a better quality uh, production, and we need to use the blast furnace route, so you need more iron ore. CSP is increasing 1.7%, PIP 2.8%. That is supporting also the iron ore production in China. And you, you have a lack of, uh, of scrap to support AF route. So there's another important in, in, uh, uh, information to show that we have a strong demand, not only for short-term, but also for, for mid-term, long-term. Uh, again, in this supply side, let's talk about the, the, the balance of supply side. Uh, we don't see uh, a strong, any strong uh, support from, from, from any region to increase uh, the supply of iron ore in the, in the uh, uh, seaboard market. Actually, it's a decrease. And in in, in India now is decreasing probably uh, for next year. They're blooming there. And that's important information. I'm not just taking information of, of the market. We are selling to India. We just signed a 5 million tons contract to, to India to support them in this very high-speed growth. So we see a tight market, a very balanced market uh, in the supply side and, and demand side that can support this upside risk that uh, Eduardo just mentioned. Now, just, just quickly on, on base metals, we'll, we'll bring more information. We are running out of time here, but we'll bring more information at uh, Valley Day on the, as a result of the asset review. Remember, one of the reasons why we did the carve-out is exactly to position base metals for growth. There's a series of projects you probably saw in our release yesterday the project we announced in Indonesia, Pomala, it's a large project there. So there's a lot of copper projects in Brazil that we are looking to accelerate. So we'll bring this in a more structured way at Bali Day, but certainly um, we want to accelerate growth at base metals.
This concludes today's question and answer Headline. session. Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu, at this time you may proceed with your closing statement. Okay, thank you. Well, I have never been so optimistic about the future of this company. After we did the reshape, after we sold nine businesses, and we focused on our two unique assets in iron ore and base metals, what we're seeing, all leading operational KPIs and safety indicators in iron ore are substantially better since 19. As Spinelli mentioned, we have a very resilient market ahead of us, even in nickel with this softening that is happening now, but we see a bright future for nickel and copper is needless to explain. And of course, the aftermath of the carve out is showing us in fixing the operational issues, we have even more value to extract from those assets. As I've been always saying, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but as I said, I have never been so optimistic. And thanks a lot for your attention, and let's see you in the next call. Valley's conference call for today is now concluded. Thank you very much for your participation. You may now disconnect.